a pleasure to be with you. My name is Jeff. I'm the Divisional Youth Secretary. For those of you guys who don't know me, uh, my wife and I, we inspire, equip, or we try to inspire, equip, and resource the youth ministries and young adults and teen ministries all across Hawaii and out to even Micronesia and Marshall Islands and whatnot. Um, And I've been here for about almost four, this is our fourth year here in this appointment, and it's crazy to think about, you know, the, the past four years here at the Croc Center. I don't preach here very often, uh, but any chance I get to come and, and share the Word of God with you guys, it's a huge privilege. Uh, albeit, I do get a little nervous coming up here on this gigantic stage and standing under these bright lights. Uh, so anything stupid or, or out of whack that I say this morning is not from God, just want to put that out there. Uh, but anything super smart, good, or even funny, that's from God, okay? Let's just get that straight. Uh, today we're going to be diving further into this subject called stewardship. This is the series that Croc Center has been going through, uh, all about stewardship. And um, I love the story that Megan shared this morning. In fact, I didn't have this in my notes coming into today, but her story about the ring reminded me of another story that I feel like perfectly illustrates the subject of stewardship. And it was way back in the day when I was dating my wife, Mary Ellen. So this is like 12 years ago or so. And of course, when you're dating somebody, you're trying to impress them, right? Uh, But Mary Ellen was really trying to impress me. (laughs) And so she, uh, her and I were going to dinner one night. And my stepdad and my mom were with us at the time. My stepdad likes to do these magic tricks and, and show off a little bit. And as we're entering the restaurant, my, my stepdad says, hey, does anybody have a coin? And I, I was like, oh, I don't have any coins or cash, sorry. Uh, but Mary Ellen, wanting to impress me, was like, oh, I have a coin. And so she reaches into her wallet or into her purse, into her wallet, and she pulls out a coin. And she gives my stepdad this coin. And my stepdad takes the coin, and he wants to show off, and he does this, like, flip, he flips it in the air. I'm not sure what he planned to do with it, but instead of catching this coin, he accidentally drops it, it falls through his fingers, uh, worst part about it, though, is as it falls to the ground, the ground happened to be made of these wooden planks. It falls through the crack below the planks, throughout, f- below this you know, platform that we were standing on, and it disappears forever. Problem is this, is this coin happened to be the very coin that my mom's, or my wife's mom gave her before she passed away. Yeah, so, you know, what? at first my stepdad thought, oh, this is going to be fun. This will be great and silly. I'm going to show off and do this little magic trick. Turned out to be a complete and total disaster for Mary Ellen, my wife. Um, She was holding it together. She's like, oh, oh. (laughs) She turns to me. She goes, I've had that ring ever since my mom passed away. It's the most special ring ever. Now, the point of the story is this, is when you recognize the privilege of the things that you have, just the fact that you own anything at all or that you have any, if you recognize the privilege that it is that we are alive today, or if you at least recognize and acknowledge the value of your possessions, you treat those things a whole lot differently, don't you? For example, if my stepdad had only understood the value of this coin or the privilege that it is that he could even hold it in the first place, mind you, I never got a chance to even hold that coin. Only Mary Ellen. Had he only known, maybe, just maybe, he wouldn't flip it into the air in the first place. The same could be applied to our lives, our stuff, our possessions, our bodies, our time. If only we acknowledge and recognize 
the value of time, the value of our bodies, the privilege that it is that you and I even woke up this morning. And most importantly, if we could only acknowledge who owns it anyway, maybe we wouldn't just flip it around. Maybe we wouldn't waste these things. Maybe we would be stewards after God's own heart. And that's what we're really going to be talking about this morning as we look at the components of biblical stewardship. I feel like it all just boils down to this, is that we are called to be stewards after God's own heart. Amen? Amen. Y'all are the second service, by the way, so none of this like sleepy, amen, get crazy, it keeps me entertained, respond, talk to me. Amen? Amen? All right, let's go. So here's the thing about stewardship. I like to think of it sort of like house sitting. Anybody ever had a house sitter or even a babysitter before? A lot of people know what this is like, okay? Now, my mom, whenever I let my mom babysit or house sit my house, um, she knows, she better know my expectations, like, you know, my standards for how my house looks, okay? And so oftentimes when I come back from a trip or a vacation and I walk through my door, I'm moving really slowly and I'm taking a look around to see how she handled my stuff. You know what I mean? Like, did she move my furniture around? Mom, did you go through my stuff? And my mom, you know, she's pretty eccentric. And the problem is, is that my mom oftentimes will like do my laundry. Love you, mom, but don't do my laundry. These are my standards. Don't move my furniture, okay? And it's a similar thing when we are stewards, when we consider stewardship, biblical stewardship, very important that we recognize who owns this stuff? Whose house this really belongs to? And also understanding that as stewards, we are managing on behalf of someone else. And particularly, biblically speaking, that someone else is God. And the more we consider the privilege that it is that we are stewards at all, the more responsibility we will uh, feel towards this stuff that we have, this thing called life. Now, let's start off with something very straightforward. What is a steward? You ask yourself, what is the definition of steward? And in the Bible, there's a couple of Greek words that I think perfectly explains it, but I am going to butcher the Greek words, so if you're a Greek nerd, just plug your ears. Okay, so the first one is oikonomos. This is a manager of a hospital or a state, the treasurer of a city. So somebody who is managing a property or an estate or or even the treasures of a city, or the, the finances of somebody else. And there's also the Greek word epitropos, which is one who cares for or honors something that has been entrusted. They are a curator or guardian. The word is often described, uh, used to describe the function of delegated responsibility. In Jesus' time, this could be a servant or even a slave who on behalf of a king or a master is looking out for their private property. Because back in those days, if you were wealthy, you oftentimes lived in the city and you might have property or stuff way outside the city. And so you need a steward to take care of your stuff. And so that's where we get the word steward from. And a steward, as I said, is a manager managing on behalf of another. And as God's children, God's servants, if you believe in Jesus today, if you believe in God, you are a steward of God's property while we are on earth. We are stewards of his property. Look, if you forget anything else I say this morning, remember that. That this is God's stuff. That this is God's property. 
If we get these things confused and instead think, this is mine, my stuff, I own it, I'm the owner of all this stuff, that's when things start to fall apart. We are God's management company, okay? It's his house, it's his stuff, but we're in his management company. So here's the thing. In Matthew chapter 7, what we're going to do is I'm going to lay out this, I'm going to share with you a passage this morning that I think lays a foundation a foundation for how we should understand stewardship. And within this passage, I think we can uh, extrapolate the principles or the components of biblical stewardship. And this is found in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. Now this passage actually comes at the very end of what we call the Sermon on the Mount. Anybody know about the Sermon on the Mount? Okay, in the book of Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount is essentially the inaugural teachings or preachings or speech of King Jesus. At this point in the book, Jesus has already been baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit, led into the wilderness, tested, and then coming out the other side, he heals somebody, and then right away, he gives the Sermon on the Mount. And this is like foundational. These teachings from Jesus in red letters are foundational to how we ought to order, structure, and go about our lives. In many ways, it's upside down, counterintuitive, but it has, these teachings have God at the center always. And it helps us, these teachings help us to understand how we live and operate in this kingdom, believing that Jesus is the king of that kingdom. I share this because this will help us understand how important it is, uh, this passage in and of itself. So he's concluding, Jesus is concluding the Sermon on the Mount by saying this. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on a rock. The, came, uh, the rain came down, the, steam, or sorry, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. So using this passage, along with some others, we're going to unpack the compon- components of biblical stewardship. And as you've read in this passage, you get this idea that, look, you and I, ultimately, we're hearing from Jesus and doing what he says. And that is absolutely the groundwork, the foundation for everything else that we're going to talk about. To hear what God, to to receive from God, whether it's words or stuff, really. To receive from him and to actually practice it, to put those words into practice. And I've boiled this, uh, the, the components into three parts to make things really simple for us this morning. First, it's this. It's all about God. It's all God's to begin with. It's all God's to begin with. Check your foundation first and foremost. Who is your foundation? Who who or what is the foundation for the decisions that you make in your life? Are your decisions rooted or based on the directives of God? Or are they based on your best guess? Or how you, you know, perceive things in and of yourself? It's all God's to begin with. This is principle, and it's probably the most important thing about stewardship at all. 
recognizing who owns all the stuff. Who owns your house? Who owns our lives? Who is ultimately the one that we will give account to as stewards? Biblically speaking, stewards are people who have come to a final conclusion and commitment to God as the owner of all things and accept the responsibility to manage his resources, not our resources. Stewards are guardians of, an interest, of the interest of another. So in this case, a steward, a biblical steward, is the guardian of the interests of God, looking out for those things, this thing called life, which ultimately we give back to God. In Psalm 24, 1 through 2, we read this. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. So everything belongs to God. Again, if you forget everything else that we talk about today, just always keep this in mind. It all belongs to God. The earth and everything in it is the Lord's. And then in Matthew 28, 18, this is at the end of the Gospel of Matthew. This is after Jesus has uh, lived and walked a perfect life, showing us how to live. He dies and rises again, vindicated as the King of Kings, the Messiah, hallelujah. And then his last words are this, the great commandment, or the great commission is what they call it. He says, it says, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But what's critical about this is whose authority is it? It's now Jesus's. We know that all things in the earth belong to God and God has given all authority in heaven and on earth to Jesus. Now Jesus turns to you and I and he says a lot of things actually. The Sermon on the Mount. But here he says go. And who are we as children of God? If you believe in Jesus today, who are we to sit there and say, nah, <laughs> Jesus, all authority is given to Jesus. And he says, go and make disciples. And how often is it that you and I just sit back, kick back, Netflix and chill, or you name it, TikTok it for three, four hours, which I know all of us have a habit of doing. Not all of us, but some of us, I guess. You know, when my kids... I'd like to think that when I tell my kids, go clean your room, they'd say, yes, daddy, because I'm their dad. I have the authority, right? In the same way, we as children of God ought to do what he says, considering the fact that he is above all. He has all authority. What he says goes. This is his house. This Life of ours was not guaranteed when we woke up this morning, yet God gave it to you. You're breathing here and now as we speak, only because God has granted us the privilege of taking the next breath. And yet, so many of us, me included, will just be like, God wants me to go and make disciples. God wants me to handle my money better. God wants me to do this or that with my stuff. And I just say, meh. But, dot, dot, dot. We need to come back to this truth that it's all God's to begin with. 
And so if it's God's, we should probably take a look or at least heed his standards, his expectations for what you do with his stuff. So stewardship is about recognizing this insane privilege that, is, uh, that we have in light of the preeminence of Christ. And we have to get honest about who owns it, who owns it all. Always be honest about it. Don't get these things confused. Your engagement, this thing called life, the things that you're engaged with on a day-to-day basis, your engagement is a gift from God. It puts things in perspective, doesn't it? Has anybody in the room ever come close to like dying, like on the brink of death or even came back to life? I don't know. You hear stories about people who are on the brink, you know, and their, their lives flash before them. Usually that spurs them to change things, to change their lives for the better. My brother, Greg, uh, my little brother, he, he got shot at. He was, a, there was a drive-by and he got, there was like 10 or 12 bullets or something went into the car that he was in. And he got hit a couple times, uh, one in the bottom, one in the side. He didn't, you know, he was all good. He, he's okay. He's alive today. <laughs> um, but he always talks about how, like, ever since that night, like, he believed in God. <laughs> what do you know? Like, and he wanted to change his life around because he came that close to dying. And so he then started to know and understand the privilege that it is to be alive. And that God gave it to him. God gave him another chance. Is that you this morning, that you got a second chance because of God? Amen? Amen? And so that puts things in perspective as stewards, the fact that God gave it to you. It's ours to manage, but it's God's gift. It came from him. So how are we going to handle it knowing that it all is his? Second part is this, is how you manage matters. Matters a lot. How you manage matters. Say that five times fast. Not really. No, you don't have to say that fast. (laughs) It's hard. Uh, I read this cute little quote as, as I was doing research. There's a quote that says, it takes backbone, not wishbone, to make it work, right? To make things happen. It takes backbone, not wishbone. Um, so th- it's this idea of not so much how much stuff you're managing as a steward, but how you manage it, right? It's the difference between being a diligent worker or a sluggard. You guys ever heard that term before, sluggard? Believe it or not, the, there's like... So much of the Bible talks about not being a sluggard, right? Read Proverbs. We're going to dig into it in a second. Um, The Bible has a lot to say, really. God's word to you and I has a lot to say about working hard and not being lazy. About making the most of your time. Making the most of your energy. Not wasting it. Because again, we're not guaranteed tomorrow. What are you going to do with this time or this stuff that God has given you? Work hard at it. Um, before I go any further, I, I forgot to do this last time, but this is a younger audience, so I think you guys might accept this. We're going to do a couple quotes that I, I shared, if you just put them on the screen. Um, I thought that these were helpful to understanding the uh, work ethic behind working hard. Oh, not this one. This is the Bible. This is a good quote, too. <laughs> My man Drake, started from the bottom, now we're here. The, the idea behind this quote is working hard. We didn't get here by accident. It was by hard work, the effort that we put in as a team, as a squad. Drake put in that hard work, and now we're here. Here's another quote. There's, 
I think there's another quote. Oh, here we go. Thomas Edison, my other guy. The reason a lot of people do not recognize opportunity is because it usually goes around wearing overalls looking like hard work. Amen? And you know what's crazy is we live in a generation now that doesn't want to work. Amen? Hallelujah! I don't want to go to work. I just figured out the government could give me stimulus. You know what I mean? Like, why do I got to go to work? That's my generation. Oh, we're in trouble. Seriously. But the crazy thing is, is you go back to the scriptures and you find out that hard work is not just important, but God actually created us to work. He created us to work. Remember the Garden of Eden? Anybody know the story? Way back at the beginning of time, God makes man, then he makes woman, because man by himself is really screwed. He makes woman so that he has a helper. He puts him in the garden, but he doesn't just put him in the garden to sit back, Netflix, and chill. What do you know? He puts him in the garden to be his stewards. This isn't Adam and Eve's garden of Eden. This is God's garden. And he puts them in the garden to till the earth, to, to steward the garden. In fact, he even, they don't just work with their bodies, they work with their minds. So God says, hey, while you're here, you can name the animals. God basically puts humanity on earth with a job to do. Not just to be lazy. So this whole, you know, they talk about the great resignation in the West, Right? And how nobody wants to work anymore. That might be a symptom of something very, very dark and evil. Really. Because it's literally going against why we were made. We have a vocation. We have a purpose. There's things to do in this household called life. Going back to that illustration in Matthew. We build the house on the right foundation. That's number one. Knowing that it all belongs to God anyway. We need to hear the word of God. To hear the word of God, you need to believe in God. You need to know that it all starts with him anyway, but also be practicing doers of the word, not just hearers of the word. And so it's not about just where do I build my house so that it doesn't fall to pieces when the storm comes. It's how do I build this house? How do I operate this house? How do I manage while I'm here? Not what do I manage? It's not about how big your house is. You notice that in the scriptures? It doesn't matter how big the house is. It matters how you manage it. Not even really how much time you have, right? It's not about how much time you have. How you manage your time. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It's how you manage your money. That's what matters the most because this is God's stuff anyways. So how you manage matters. In uh, Proverbs 6, we'll go back to the scripture in Proverbs 6. I love this. So in the scriptures, we have this comparison of the diligent worker and the sluggard. And I felt like we could just zoom in to this for a second because it'll help us to understand how we ought to manage because how we manage matters. How do we, how do we steward these things or this thing called life? In Proverbs, we read this. Um, go back one more, sorry. It says, go to the ant, you sluggard. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food in harvest. And then it says, How long will you lie there, you sluggard? (laughs) It's kind of messed up. Did you not know that the scriptures can be kind of mean sometimes? Well, at least if you're like me and you're sort of a lazy sluggard sometimes, right? How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, 
a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a thief, and scarcity like an armed man. Mmm. We sit back, kick back, relax, Netflix and chill, act like we don't have anything too pressing to get to. It's not really God's business. It's not really God's time clock. It's my business. It's my time clock. This is my house. I own it. I'm the boss of my stuff. I'm the boss of my things. And if our perspective gets twisted and suddenly we're on the throne and God's not on the throne, we become the sluggard. And it's the sluggard who really is in trouble in the end. On the sluggard, the the thief comes in the night and catches them off guard because they're not prepared. Whereas the ant, quite the opposite of a sluggard, a hardworking ant stores up its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. Friends, we cannot get caught up in this trend, this culture where work is a bad thing, hard work, Don't get me wrong, I am not a huge fan of working, just in general. I like my vacations, hallelujah, amen. But at the same time, it's a slippery slope when we forget that we're put here for a reason. We have work to do in God's garden, amen? And look, maybe it's about how you manage your house. Maybe it's nine to five at your job. Maybe you work in ministry. Maybe you're volunteering. Maybe you're just a family man. Okay, maybe you're, maybe you're mom or dad and you're figuring out how do I manage my family? How do I do these things? Be diligent. Don't be lazy. Be diligent. And also, here's the other thing. Be giving. It might sound counterintuitive to be a giving steward, right? But remember how we got this stuff in the first place. And also reflect on the character and person of God in Jesus. In Philippians, we read about, Paul writes about how Jesus, he came down from heaven. He came down from heaven, guys. Heaven is the best thing ever. It's perfect. But Jesus came down from the throne, came down from heaven, becoming a servant, even to the point of dying on a cross, giving up his life so that you and I can have one. In this example, we see how you and I ought to operate, how we ought to manage as a reflection of God's image in the world. Adam and Eve planted and placed in the garden as image bearers of God, reflecting God into the world, reflecting his goodness, his love, his mercy, his work, but also being givers because God is a giver. Let me just flip it on its head for a second. If we are to not give it all, knowing that God gave us everything, what does that make us? It leads to hypocrisy, that's for sure, right? Who are we to keep it all to ourselves when God has overflowed in abundance, given us everything that we ever needed? He provides for the sparrows, yet he provides for you and I even more. Who are we to keep it all to ourselves? And so we give away our time in the name of Jesus. We give away our energy, our money, our stuff. We give away ourselves. Why? Because the master of the house gave himself away. And we are a reflection of him. As stewards, we're managing his property on his behalf. 
And so we must know his standards, his expectations. And his expectations are that you and I are a reflection of him in the world. In and through Jesus, this is possible. By the power of the Holy Spirit, of course. And number three, components of biblical stewardship. Management is ultimately accountable to the owner. Everybody say, ooh. That's a tough one. We're accountable. That means we actually have to report. We're accountable, right? We're accountable to the owner of the house. We're going to have to report how we've essentially done. We're going to have to essentially follow through with this commitment and manage things properly on his behalf. A good question to ask ourselves is this. Who's working for who? Who's working for who? Do you work for yourself in this world or are we ultimately working for God? Who's working for who today? Well, here's a hint. We work for him, not the other way around. Again, when we get these things twisted, that's when things start to fall apart. When the storms of life come, it knocks our house down because instead of us working for God, we thought he was working for us. In the end, each of us will give a personal account to God. We'll want to know, sorry, God will want to know what we have done with all his possessions he has entrusted into our care. Did we do what he said? Did you do what God said today? Pretty simple question, right? Did I do what God said today? Did I, have I been doing what he said lately? Remember, Jesus, Sermon on the Mount, concludes with, if you've heard what I said and put it to practice, it's like you're building your life, building your house on a rock. When the storms of life come, I don't care if it's a pandemic, financial catastrophe, addiction, whatever. When the storms of life come, they can't blow your life down or blow your, your house down if it's built on the right foundation. And that foundation is Jesus Christ. Hearing what he said and putting it into practice. Have we been doers, not just hearers today? And if so, if we're doers, not just hearers, we will be accountable with ourselves, our bodies. In Romans we read, Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual worship. Offer your bodies, offer yourselves, your time, your energy. We'll be accountable to our possessions, right? Money, stuff. I got a lot of stuff. A lot of Barbie stuff at my house right now. I'm even accountable with that stuff. What am I going to do with this stuff when I'm done using it? Seriously, it's funny, but it's for real. Are we keeping it all to ourselves? What are you going to do with that Bitcoin? Hmm? Our time. Look at Ephesians 5, chapter 5, 15 through 17. I love this. Paul says, pay careful attention then to how you walk. To how you walk. Not as unwise people, but wise, making the most of our time because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Make the most of your time by knowing what God wants you to do. And you'll know what he wants you to do 
if you know what he says. Hint. All right, you can listen to it. You can read it. You can even watch it in 4K nowadays. You can have a phone talk to you about it. Man, there's all kinds of ways to know what God has to say. Or you could pray. You and I could be prayers, prayer warriors, and receiving a, a, a word from the Lord that way. In conclusion, we've talked about components of biblical stewardship today, okay? First, first and foremost, recognizing and acknowledging that it's all God's to begin with. Turn to the person to your side and say, it's God's anyway. It's God's anyway. It all belongs to God. It's not yours. It's God's. Start there. It's God's to begin with. Second, how you manage matters. How you manage matters. It's not so much about what you're managing. It's how you manage it. Okay? Okay, not how much you have, but how you manage what you have. And then thirdly, management is accountable to the owner. We will give an account one day, okay? We don't just disappear after we die. There's a reason why we're here. It's not coincidence. Friends, if you don't know Jesus this morning, if you don't believe in God that there's life everlasting after this, maybe forget everything else. Just know that this time that we have, we're stewards of this time today. We could place our faith in him this morning. If that's you this morning. Maybe God is asking you with your time and your energy to get up off your seat. Maybe, just maybe pray at the altar. If you don't know Jesus. Secondly, maybe you know Jesus and you need help by the power of the Holy Spirit to learn how to manage your stuff better, manage your life better, to put things in proper order because it's God's stuff anyway. This is also, again, another opportunity. What will you do with this opportunity? You could stay in your seats. Man, you could even go pace outside. I don't care. But if God's at the center of it, if this is about God and not you, then maybe we can put things in proper perspective, put things in order, become better stewards of God's stuff, God's time. I've got these beautiful girls that are in junior church right now, Joan and Clara, and I didn't share this in the first service, but God just put it on my heart. I, maybe some of you have kids, and you know what this is like. There's days when I'll look at them after spending too much time on Instagram or Twitter. I'll look over and I'll be like, why am I not spending more time, more energy, even more money sometimes on these beautiful kids of mine? I'm a steward of people, God's people, though. These are God's children, I mean, yeah, they got my DNA, for better or worse. But these are God's kids. This is God's house. This is God's building. And you belong to God as well. What are you going to do with yourself this morning? How and in which way are you going to manage God's stuff? Let's let's be better stewards. Let's be stewards after God's own heart. Amen? 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 All right, this is time of commitment. Look, as I pray, come forward. Don't be scared. Don't be worried about what people think. Come forward and pray at the altar. Pray at your seat. Make this moment matter. Father God, we love you. We thank you so much for today. God, we ask that your Holy Spirit just fill this place. Fill our hearts. Convict us, God, if we need convicting. Counsel us if that's what we need. God, maybe give us a vision of what our lives would look like if we were stewards after your own heart. God, we ask that you would just... Meet with us now, Lord, whether it's at the altars, 
in our seats. God, that you would just meet with us now. Show us what we need to see. Speak to us in a profound way, God, that we might be better stewards of your time, your possessions, this life that belongs to you. May we give it back to you, God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.